We welcome our audience to the Watchers of the Skies program. We're here at Ashland University, the AUTV20 studios of the JDM department. This is my colleague, Dennis Monacrusos. Dennis, good morning. How are you? Doing great. You know, we've got a triad of freshmen right here working with us today. Kay, Jesse, who's running the show for us today, Stephen, and Brandon's back there in the back. Gentlemen, thank you for your help. You know, our audience might be thinking, I'd like to help these students. And we and they should. And they should, right? Yeah, right? And I will tell you that you can just write to us at president at <laughs> ashland.edu. You want to support these students with scholarship money. I was just talking to the department chair. We've got a great group of freshmen in here. We want the same thing to be true next fall as well. And we mean this sincerely. If you send dollars in, every dollar will go directly to student scholarships to help them not have any debt when they graduate from Ashland University. That would be a great thing. It would be. You know, our program is committed to taking on tough topics like cost of education. It's one of the things we've talked about, Dennis, in the past. Yeah. Watchers of the Skies, you know, that title is taken from a John Keats poem. We like the poem because it's academic. We like the poem because it kind of gets at the wonder of education. Keats said in that poem that he was like someone who was watching the skies and saw a new planet come into his ken. We're not looking for things perhaps planetary in nature, but topics, right? Topics come across Absolutely. our ken. We see them and we watch the skies of contemporary culture and say, here's something worth discussing. Today, we're taking on this idea of free speech again on campuses. And this is not just fired by one article, but there was a specific article recently in the Wall Street Journal. And it talked about alumni and their giving and even retracting some gifts based upon free speech attitudes and culture on campuses. So maybe you can frame, you know, the article opened with a story about a Cornell grad and Cornell reaching out to him. Maybe you can open us with summarizing what the situation is, was at Cornell and then we can kind of fill in some blanks from there. Right, so Cornell, which is of course one of the Ivies, a school that's awash in money, at least compared to most of, right. of higher education or much of higher education, reached out to one of their alumni, as you said, a fellow named Carl Noyce. I think that's right, at least a German pronunciation of, of his name, who is a very wealthy real estate developer, I believe. And they asked him for a seven-figure gift, which is quite a lot of money. It is. And I assume he had been a, a pretty reliable donor in the past, but he had heard things that made him a little bit nervous about the tenor of, of speech on the university. So the university said, hey, no problem, come speak to our professors. And he did, and it was worse than he thought. Mm -hmm. And they, they referred in, in, in particular to diversity training sessions where they had felt humiliated, and he decided, you know what, no gift. Mm -hmm. And so since then, decided to put some pressure. So if the university kind of has more of a free speech uh, attitude where there isn't this kind of uh, feeling of having to police yourself or that there are taboos that you just can't even bring up. Uh, until that happens, no gift. Yes, this is a really interesting article from my perspective, Dennis. As you might guess, where, from where I sit, I'm talking to alumni daily. And it is not unusual for folks who are giving to place contingencies around their gifts. Right. And as any fiduciary officer, someone who has to focus on the mission primarily of the institution, I work with alums to say there are some restrictions that are completely legitimate, but there are others that aren't, right? Mm -hmm. And so when alums want to shift culture on your campus based upon their giving, you've got to be really careful about this. And so while in many ways I agree with Mr. Noyce and his perspective because, as you know, we've signed on for the Chicago principles right. of free speech. We've made a commitment to free speech on our campus. 
you know, uh, lots of examples. I'll give you one quick one that you may remember. Uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, you know this mm -hmm. man. Uh, right. this, uh, his name sounds Greek, but I, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> not sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, he's a provocateur right. and he's, he's known as such. And so again, here's, here's someone right in the firing uh, line. He's at Berkeley. He announces and then there's a riot and say he can't speak here. Right. He wouldn't speak here. And I remember tweeting, and I don't do a lot on social media, but I tweeted that if a student invited him, and that was the situation, you know, students had to invite someone to come to Berkeley. If mm -hmm. a student invited him to come to Ashland, that we would not stand in his way, despite the fact that I don't agree with almost anything he says. Mm -hmm. Well, there was a firestorm right. in response to what I had said. But basically, in my, what I tried to say in, defense, in my defense was that we are not going to disinvite folks that are invited by students. Now, if there's a safety issue, that's a whole different story. But this whole idea that alumni are now pushing back on campus culture can perhaps impact this free speech and the ability for faculty to feel as though they have autonomy in their classroom. So talk a little bit more about that, Dennis. What's the acceptable balance from your perspective in alumni and others who, this is their alma mater, right? They should have some voice controlling, affecting campus culture, and where does this intersection between alumni and others defining mission and culture come into play when it comes to you as a faculty member teaching in the classroom and not wanting to feel these restrictions? Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's difficult. I mean, I would say, mm -hmm. obviously it's difficult, that's why we're talking about it. <laughs> yeah. And it'll probably take exactly 21 minutes yes, to Yes, I know, we won't get all of it settled today. Right, it'll be one minute too short. <laughs> but. Um, I mean, from the, alum, from the perspective of the, the alumni or, or the alumnus or alumni, I should say, uh, it, it makes sense for them to use, I mean, it's, it's their money to, right. to, to use um, as they, they see fit. What I would think would make sense would be, let's say, if the university as they understood it, right, the university that they knew, that they attended, right, if they feel that that is being taken away, if that's being pulled off, I, I think it does make some sense that if what they valued about the university and both what they got from it as an as a educational institution and what's been during the course of their giving, if they see that changing, I mean, it, it at least makes sense to me that they're not, let's say, trying to turn it into a, a place where they're exerting what they believe in a strong, what they believe in a strong sense, but rather are trying to avoid its changing. And if they see it changing away from what it is that they value, then of course it makes sense for them to stop Stop giving. It doesn't right. mean that the university should should change. Right or capitulate. Right, to exactly. Specific. Yeah. So I mean, it, it can be that there has to be the sort of uh, amicable or maybe not amicable divorce, of sorts. But um, for the alumna or alum or alumnus, um, it, it certainly seems to make sense. Right. You know, a, a parallel discussion could be had around religious affiliation. Mm -hmm. You've worked in institutions with religious affiliations. I know for certain that Catholic universities have had a number of alums who said, I will stop giving if you don't continue to perpetuate the Catholic doctrine and beliefs and ethos that was true when I was on campus. And, and they did stop giving. Right. And others that maybe even foster a new way of thinking on a Catholic campus through giving. So I think these are things that happen all the time. I know that the very article that you referenced actually has uh, another alumnus, uh, this time of MIT, right? So mm -hmm. this donor from MIT 
was upset because the university disinvited this geophysicist. I, don't, I didn't know the person. Dorian Abbott, was that someone you'd know before? I only heard of it in the context of this, uh, this firestorm here. Okay, so he delivers a scientific lecture at the school because he alleged that a new cadre of diversity, equity, and inclusion officers was creating a climate in which faculty were self-censoring. So uh, this disinvitation dis prompts the, the grad to withhold donations and then help to launch the MIT Free Speech Alliance, which again, from my perspective, I applaud those kinds of efforts. I think counterbalancing what I think every objective observer would say, there does feel like the pendulum has swung so far in the direction of what can I say, what can't I say, is this the right way to speak about this issue or not? You know, am I, you know, perhaps crossing the line at some level? And it's funny because he asked for a debate between Dr. Abbott and one of the six new associate deans for diversity on campus. And here's what the spokesperson said. Again, this is uh, something that uh, we talk about a lot in our office. Said that the school is grateful for their alumni, respects their perspective, but declined to comment on the specific views. Now, you're already right. laughing a, before a courageous, I finished the A courageous the statement there, well, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, to me, isn't it uh, almost indicative of the culture, right? right. Uh, refusing to comment on the specific views. You know, how is it that we have come to the place where a college or university, the place where diversity of idea and diversity of thought is not welcome? So even if the spokesperson spoke or said something that was Right. Controversial, right? right? Well, I liked your misstatement where you said diversity of idea. You know, it's, it's, that's exactly the problem. <laughs> right. Right. It's, it has yeah. become a, a monoculture yeah. on too many campuses, and nobody gets this perf perfect. But you know, that does seem like like a great example. I, I will say that I'm not sure that saying it should be one of the six, you know, associate officers. I, you know, I think that was clearly being snarky a, a little bit. But to have that debate and to have professors speak openly about, do you feel curtailed? Do you feel as though you have the right to free, to, to speak openly and freely? And I know that perhaps the exception is often used to highlight problems on campuses, and it may not be as proliferated as, as we might be painting it today, Dennis, but I don't know. I, I, my sentiment is that it is one of those things that go, goes unspoken so often Mm -hmm. And in what context can a professor say something if they want promotion, if they want tenure, if they want to be able to go to another institution and, and publish widely, can they speak openly about their views if they are outside of what now might be seen as the mainstream on college campuses? Right. I mean, it's, I, mean I think that's always been some, somewhat yes. of a difficulty mm -hmm. that you feel like you have to jump through certain hoops to achieve tenure. Yes. At this point, though, it doesn't even seem that achieving tenure is even enough, mm -hmm. however, right? So you can, you can achieve it. but. If, if the, um, the outside pressures, both, let's say, on social media and the internal pressures as well, become so great. I mean, I've, I've certainly read stories, and I'm sure you have as well, of longtime professors who are fully tenured, they're even full professors, and nevertheless, they feel compelled to leave their institution. Uh, I believe, actually, that we had, we had him as a speaker um, through Zoom recently, Anthony Esselin. Yes. He left Providence College, I believe, in, in large part because of this kind of pressure on him even though he was a full professor, tenured, uh, very well respected in the, uh, in, in the broader circles of that, that he wrote in and so on. And nevertheless, he felt, you know, enough is enough. Yes. 
let me switch institutions. He was persona non grata, at least that was uh, right. his perspective. You know, I referenced this specific group on MIT. I do want to speak and at least call out for our listeners another alliance that, that I had not heard about before. You know, this is in reference to, you know, another other, a, a number of other campuses that are, you know, struggling with the same issue. I think for me, when I consider groups like FIRE, F-I-R-E, you know, it's right. one of the groups that really is uh, dialed into free speech on campuses. We've talked about them in our podcasts in the past. We've talked about ACTA, the mm -hmm. uh, American Council of Trustees and Alumni. They're another group that really spends a lot of time in this area and works hard to ensure that free speech is something that is honored on college campuses. This is one I'd not yet heard. It's called the Alumni Free Speech Alliance. That's the Alumni Free Speech Alliance. Edward Yingling is the leader and founder of the alliance and former president and chief executive of the American Bankers Association. He goes on to say that he's fielded inquiries from alumni at 75 schools, but the goal of the alliance is to help change campus culture so students won't shout down or disinvite a speaker with whom they disagree. And I think that's, you know, one of those areas that we've talked a lot about here on our campus. We say that we're trying to foster this culture of dignity and respect. And that means if someone comes with intolerable viewpoints, we will tolerate them. Mm -hmm. we, we will give them the opportunity to speak. If they're inciting someone to violence, of course, right. you know, that sort of thing will not be tolerated. But, you know, we're going to speak in a later podcast about specifically anti-Semitism mm -hmm. rising on campuses. We had a Hanukkah celebration uh, just this week on our campus, but this state does have a problem. There's an issue in that specific regard, and this idea that we are curtailing free speech, and especially opinions that diverge from our own, is something that I think colleges and universities have to be more mindful of. Sure. And, and, I mean, the, the university can make statements saying, we don't like what this person is saying. So, yes. I mean, it, it's not as if there's, there's nothing that you can do in, in, re, in reply to or in the context of these, these outside speakers. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely, the university can make statements, teachers, professors can make statements, student bodies can make statements. But still, if the person has an argument and they're not just there um, to stir up trouble, uh, Crush the arguments, right? right. That's, that's what the universities have been about for hundreds of years. Exactly. So. The way we seem to divulge into, degrade into, I should say, into ad hominem attacks is just striking, where we're not attacking the ideas right. of whatever the ism is that we have an issue with, but suddenly it's the person. And I know that we have a commencement exercise coming up this fall, and that's something that years ago we didn't really think was all that controversial. You wanted someone who reflected the values of the institution, very often speaking, but not always. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you would have someone speak who may not align with your values, but they had something to say. Right. Our student body would have a, a say in voting for who we might put up. But now this has literally become, in our age, that when the campus announces who the, the speaker will be for a commencement, it's instantly uh, an, an issue on social media. And I'm trying to think of what the phrase is. It's something to the effect that not my commencement speaker, I think is the, hmm. the, the phrase that's often used. So it's a hashtag right. that then students will uh, identify. And, and, you know, students turn their backs on the speaker during the commencement exercise. I will say that's never happened at Ashland. And we have had speakers 
and I hope to God it ever does happen at Ashland. And we, we've had speakers that don't perfectly align with all of our values, and no speaker will align with all the values of our student body. But I think that, again, brings to mind the importance of creating a campus culture where your commencement speaker, other speakers, will have the opportunity to, to, to exert whatever or express whatever views they have. You know, you help lead a faith and society lecture series on our campus. Talk to us a little bit about how you and others choose the speakers, uh, outline how they've been responded to maybe just a little bit and give us a sense of how our campus, at least with that one speaker series, tries to get at some of these issues. Right, so what I'm trying to find are speakers who are willing to say something about an issue of importance. That, that's something that's currently kind of a hot topic. Um, and that person does not necessarily need to completely align with what I take to be my values, the university's values exactly, but, but someone who I think has something that's challenging to some significant section of the, well, the student body of the university community in general. Generally, I would say more in alignment than not with, with what the university is about, but if I find someone who has an interesting argument that may be more challenging to my view, but the person is, is there for the argument, for the discussion, great, right? So it's, it's um, not about finding someone who's gonna stand on a soapbox, but someone who has an intelligent, well-formulated way of, of hitting some really, again, kind of topical issue um, that's gonna challenge Possibly both sides, right? It might be some third way, popular phrase here. Yes. Um, but some, some third way that might pose some difficulties to, to both sides. So as long as it's advancing the argument, right? So if it's an, an argument of importance and it's going to advance the discussion along, fantastic, right? And as long as it's on this intersection of, of faith and the broader culture, that's great. Mm -hmm. they're, they're welcome here. Well, that's great. And I, I think one of the things that that lecture series is trying to do is give a one of many opportunities for students to hear from a diverse group of people and ideas because there are other student groups and other groups on campus that foster other lectures mm -hmm. that may be based around other ideas other viewpoints and it's one of the things if you look at our calendar for a year COVID notwithstanding it's extraordinary to see the viewpoints from my perspective that students can be exposed to and it's one of the things that we try to foster even within our community invite folks within our region to come all of these are public events if you zoom in or mm -hmm. visit the campus we invite folks uh, and so we do want our listeners to know that we have a really open campus from that perspective even if a community member says, you know what, Carlos, we would love to just come and sit in on a class like that alumni did, right? So you don't have to be an alumni of the institution to sit in and hear for yourself what students and faculty members are talking about. Give us some advance right. notice so we can let the faculty right. member know and make sure that they're okay with that. But that's one of the things that we do here at Ashland University. You know, we've made this commitment, Dennis, that we're trying to teach students how to think about mm -hmm. issues, not specifically what to think about every issue, although there are some issues that you know, uh, we think are incontrovertible. Right. Uh, at the same time, we want to foster a campus culture where you are going to confront. Uh, right. And I would points. say even where we take it to be incontrovertible, if it can be controverted, let's, 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 uh, let's, let's try to show, let's try to prove our case rather than just good point. offer an edict from on high. Kind of an intellectual humil right. humility almost, right? This idea of, you know, what issues are off limits, right? It's a settled issue. Yeah. We're not, we're not going to talk anymore about X, Y, or Z. 
Well, interesting conversation. Dennis, thanks uh, for the conversation. Thank you to our audience. Thank you to the uh, young men in the studio here, studio here helping us get things done. You're listening to the Watchers of the Skies program. We look forward to you joining us next time here at Ashland University, AUTV20, the Watchers of the Skies. Thanks for being with us.